Welcome to Sports with Chris Rawl. I am Chris Rawl, and I'm here to talk about sports. On today's show, college football playoff field is set. Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Cincinnati. Answers to questions, an endless supply. New ones that startle, old ones that reassure us. All of them wrong, perhaps, but for the moment, solutions. Those are the words of Liesl Mueller, and they are very important for what I would like to talk about today, the never-ending search for answers when it comes to a football team and a coach, and the identity and malleability of a football program. Now, the greatest coaches of all time understand what Liesl's talking about, that the answers are always changing. Uh, for the moment, solutions, but that is not always going to be the case. This can happen on a game-to-game basis. This can happen on a season-to-season basis. And this can happen over the scope of an entire career for a coach. Now, when you really hone it down and go game-to-game, I think of the greatest football coach of all time, Bill Belichick, who is the master of the specific tailored-to-the-opponent game plan. It is how he has made an entire career uh, for the last two decades with the New England Patriots and well before that as a head coach of the Browns and and defensive coordinator of the Giants. I was watching the 30 for 30 called the two Bills the other day about Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells when they were both together with the Giants. And they have a spell where they talk about one of the early shining examples of how Belichick came to be the master of the specific game plan. One opponent, go into your lab and concoct the best possible way to beat this team. Uh, In the 1991 Super Bowl, the Giants were playing the Buffalo Bills. And Belichick, he's the defensive coordinator for the time with the Giants. Bill Parcells, he's the head coach. And Belichick concocts this iconic strategy for that game. Um, His defensive playbook, the physical binder from this Super Bowl, is literally enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Again, one of the clear windows in the early career, relatively early career of Bill Belichick that gave us a glimpse of what he would turn into, the greatest coach ever because of his ability to understand tendencies and rules of the opponent and design something on his end that would break them. So, Belichick, if you read between the lines of how he coaches, kind of boils down to one thing. Uh, We can't take away everything, so what's the one thing that we must take away? What's the one thing we have to take away that will give us the best opportunity to win? Belichick understands you can't take away everything. That's impossible. So what do we think is the area they will hurt us the most with? All right, let's start there and then move outwards. So going into the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills, they have the best offense in football. Highest scoring attack. They're equally great at running and at passing. They have Thurman Thomas at tailback, iconic running back of his time. He's the second leading rusher in football that year. They have an incredible passing attack. Jim Kelly under center. They have Andre Risen and James Lofton. All three of these people currently enshrined in Canton in the Hall of Fame for what they did on the football field. So you understand this offense, incredible talent can hurt you in all the ways. So Belichick goes into the lab. And identifies, okay, what's the thing that we need to take away? 
And for this game, he said, all right, we're, we're willing to give up the run in order to eliminate the pass. We can't take away everything, but we're going to take away the thing that we think they can hurt us with the most. So leading up to that game, Belichick and the Giants, they construct defenses that they had not played all season. Stuff that was not on film, stuff that they hadn't even been practicing until this specific game. When the, the kickoff starts, the Giants play the majority of the game with just two down linemen. Unheard of stuff for that time, unheard of stuff in present day. It's just not something you really hear of. An NFL team playing the majority of their defensive snaps with two down linemen and a bunch of people just wandering around besides that. And yet it works. The Giants end up winning 20-19. It's the famous Scott Norwood missed field goal game. And this is a quote coming from Bill Belichick about this specific game and this specific game plan that he concocted. I think the running game was the least of our concerns in that game. Thurman Thomas is a great back. We knew he was going to get some yards, but I didn't feel like we wanted to get into a game where they threw the ball 45 times. I knew if they had some success running the ball, they would stay with it. And I always felt when we needed to stop the run, we could stop it. And the more times they ran it, it was just one less time they could get it to Reed or get it to Lofton or throw it to Thomas, who I thought was more dangerous as a receiver because there's more space than there was when he was a runner, end quote. So again, an early window into this way that Belichick has, has really built a career in a mastery of specific answers within the confines of one individual game. How malleable can you be as a team in one individual game? game. Uh, Belichick has made a career off of this process, identifying how the opposition can hurt his team the absolute most and then taking that away. We've seen that all the years with the New England Patriots. First Super Bowl win against the greatest show on turf, their last Super Bowl win against Sean McVay and the Rams. Uh, There's a million different examples. Every time they play the Chiefs and they're taking away Tyree Kill and and Travis Kelsey, double team, dual, all this kind of stuff, Belichick understands how to be malleable Game to game. And he's, and that's in no small part why he is the best football coach of all time. Now, there's another part to this equation. Um, just because the answers are always changing, it doesn't mean that there is no place for a steady, unshakable foundation. The identity of a team, who you are at your core. You go back to the Liza words, it's the old ones that reassure us. The answers that are there and have always been there and we can always fall back on in hard times. So Belichick, from a malleable perspective, is the master. Change game to game, change game to game, change game to game. But at their core, Belichick's Patriots teams, and dating back to his Giants teams as a defense coordinator, they've always had a core identity. They're going to be smart. They're going to be physical. They're going to make fewer mistakes than the opposition. That's what they do in practice over and over. They practice these specific things. How are we going to outsmart the other team? How are we going to be more physical? And what are we going to do in practice to ensure that we make fewer mistakes than the opposition? We've seen that regardless of quarterback, regardless of players within the defensive scheme. This is just how Belichick teams are coached. This is their core identity. When you combine those two things together, a core identity that makes sense that a team has has perfected with the ability to be malleable game to game and season to season, then you have the makings of a team that is capable of winning 
a lot at a very high level. It's the best of all the worlds, okay? So when I think about Bill Belichick, greatest NFL coach of all time, my mind obviously thinks of another coach who people consider to be the greatest of all time within his sector, if you will, Nick Saban in the college game, who over the last decade has, much like Belichick, been a perfect example of this blend of answers. The new ones that startle, the old ones that reassure. Malleability, identity. Think in these terms, okay? It, it's it's very hard to blend both of these things together in a way that makes sense on the football field. And Belichick and Saban are the best ever within their own specific sports at doing those things. Now, we don't need any more reminders that Saban is the greatest college coach ever, but last Saturday gave us another example. Alabama going into the SEC title game against Georgia. They're kind of left for dead after a season, a regular season, that was by Alabama's incredible standards subpar. Again, this is Alabama standards. Anyone else would be dying with joy for the season that Alabama just had going into Saturday's game, but by Alabama standards, they're used to a certain level of sustained excellence, and, and the season wasn't necessarily that. They only had one loss on the record, but the loss was ugly at Texas A&M. Zach Calzada shreds their defense. It was a very bizarre game, but in addition to that, you saw weaknesses in a way that Alabama really never shows. Other games that are close, including three in November, Close calls against LSU, Arkansas, Auburn. Three games that Alabama only wins by a combined 15 points. Two games, the LSU and the Auburn game, that they really, really, really struggle to block, period. All of these things have kind of piled up. So they're going into Saturday, and they're tasked with solving the insolvable. The Georgia defense on the other end. you got to score points against them. A defense that is being talked about in all-time terms. A defense that entering into the game was giving up less than seven points per game. A defense that was being compared to 2011 Alabama and 2001 Miami and these iconic defenses of the last few decades. As people tried to say, where does this defense fit? This is an incredible, incredible defense. They're just swallowing opponents whole every single game. They have the best front seven in football. And if you watch November... You would say this is problematic because that that Alabama offensive line, they could not block LSU's pass rush. They could not block Auburn's pass rush. And those two teams are infinitely less talented and less good at rushing the passer than Georgia. Those were the thoughts coming into Saturday's game. So let's take a pause before we get into the outcome and what is going on uh, with the search for answers and identity and malleability amongst all of these programs that are now going to compete within the college football playoff. Alabama, since Nick Saban took over, it's been 14 years now, Alabama has a core identity, one that has not changed in those 14 years. We are going to recruit the best players in the nation, and we are going to recruit them in great volume. Remember back to last Thursday's show, the importance of that in present-day college football. 
It seems simple to understand this would give you an incredible edge over everybody, but I don't think we thought of it as aggressively in those terms as we do in present day. The majority of that has been spurred by what Alabama has done under Saban. Such high-level talent, but also such incredible depth of talent, it's unassailable for the vast majority of teams in the nation. So since Saban has been there, Alabama is a recruiting juggernaut. Um, In the last 10 years, Alabama has had the nation's number one ranked recruiting class in eight of those years. So you see this identity, talent, 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 recruiting. How we win starts first and foremost off the field. It's convincing and showing all of the very best players in the nation that if you come here, you will win and you will go to the NFL and you will make a lot of money. The other side of the equation is the malleability, which Saban in a slightly different manner than Belichick, rather than doing a game-to-game, incredibly tailored to the opponent game plan, that's a lot harder to do in college because of the amount of practice time and just the comprehension of college players versus professional athletes. The malleability that Saban has shown comes from a season-to-season level. It's been a 10-year shift as Alabama has moved from a defense-first, run-heavy, quarterback-as-a-game-manager team to an offensive-first, arid-out, quarterback-is-the-star-style team. The calculated risk by Saban, who looked at the college football landscape as it was changing, and in part was probably spurred on by losses to Johnny Manziel and Texas A&M, who were running a spread and just kind of gave Alabama's defenses fits. And a couple losses to Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss, who were running a similar style offense, who also gave Alabama's defense fits. Saban looked around and and said, all right, we will always have the best players because I know that's our identity. I trust that we will do this as long as I'm here because we are damn good at recruiting. I also understand that the game is decidedly moving in an offensive direction, especially with the pass. So... Let's show a little bit of malleability. Let's do what everyone else is trying to do. Let's spread it out. Let's score points and in great quantities. And because of our identity, because of how much talent and how much depth we have, we will be able to do it better than everyone else. So that's the vision of Saban when he hires Lane Kiffin to be the Alabama offensive coordinator. Kind of a shock to the system for everybody because we were used to A.J. McCarron and Greg McElroy handing it off to Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry 80 times a game and then just play defense and give up six points and win 28-6 to every game. Lane Kiffin comes on board and then Steve Sarkeesian and now Bill O'Brien this year. And I would consider last year's Alabama team to be a manifestation of the vision, this blend of malleability and identity uh, as it pertains to answers, new ones that startle, old ones that reassure. Last year's offense, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. A bunch of dudes who as rookies are already balling out in the NFL, so you can understand that last year in the collegiate game, they combined to form one of the most devastating offenses in the history of football. And on the strength of that offense, Alabama runs untouched to the national title. Interesting note, it's also nearly 10 years 
after Saban's 2011 national title team. Uh, Boa constricted a bunch of teams and avenged their one loss to LSU in the national title game with a shutout with a completely different philosophy. Uh, the 2011 team, it sported one of the most devastating defenses of all time. Quarterback was not the star. The offense was not the thing that people came to watch. They were there to run the ball and control the clock, and the defense was there to strangle the life out of you. And that's how Alabama won a national title in 2011. So we kind of return now to Saturday. And as I talk about this continual search for answers and what coaches are tasked with as it comes to identity and malleability and how hard that can be sometimes, we look across the sideline on Saturday and who's waiting there for Alabama? Georgia Bulldogs. An interesting examination in this context. Coached by Kirby Smart, a disciple of Nick Saban, former defensive coordinator of Nick Saban, a man who wanted to build Georgia in the image of Alabama and Nick Saban when he took over the job. A thing that a lot of people said, it can't be done. You're an idiot. Why are you even trying this? How could you out Saban Saban? He's the greatest college coach of all time, and he knows how to blend identity and malleability. Identity with the talent, malleability with understanding what football is and what to turn your team into in order to give it the best chance to win. Kirby Smart came in and said, nope, we're going to be able to do that. We're going to be able to match this identity. Talent in great quality and quantity. I mentioned earlier, 8 out of 10 years, Alabama has the number one recruiting class in the nation. So other two years, interesting to make note of, because in 2018 and 2020, Georgia ascends to the number one spot. Two years that Kirby Smart's there as head coach. And he's really crafted the same identity at Georgia that Saban has done at Alabama. He has been an incredible recruiter there, and Georgia has stockpiled talent. Again, quality and quantity throughout the five years that he has been at Georgia. And Saturday seemed like it was set up for this perfect Georgia Bulldogs moment, who have not won a national title in a very long time, obviously have not won a national title under Kirby Smart with this current identity. Saturday was set up for this moment that it, in order to ascend to the mountaintop, you've got to go through the king. It's the story of every championship team ever. You have to exercise your demons along the way to winning a championship. It's Jordan beating the Pistons. It's LeBron beating the Celtics. There's a million examples. We know the story. And when you follow teams over the course of years, it's really interesting and fulfilling to watch the journey, especially when you're there for the breakthrough, even if it's not your team, because it's just a, it's a cool story. You see this team butt its head against the wall for a long time, and then you go, okay, I finally saw them break through. That's a really cool moment. So the king of Alabama, for everybody, but for Georgia specifically, it's really, really Alabama. After Saturday, Georgia has lost their last seven games in a row to the Alabama Crimson Tide. And going into all of those games, Georgia has been a top 10 team. And in six of those seven games, Georgia has been a top five team. So you understand this is a quality Georgia team in every single one of these matchups, seven straight games. And in all of these games, they have left as the loser. 
Some people would look at that and say, well, it just means that Georgia can't beat Alabama. And some people look at it and say, well, this is a reflection of your identity or your ability to be malleable or not be malleable. And, and you're doing stuff wrong and you just you can't win like you're trying to win right now. That's just it's proof. We've seen it. We've seen it seven different times. And other people would look at it and say, uh, there are an incredible amount of heartbreaking losses mixed in here. Even dating back to before Kirby Smart. I was thinking about just Georgia's history with Alabama as the SEC title game was taking place on Saturday. And I'm thinking back to the 2012 SEC title game when Mark Richt was their coach. And they were this close, I mean this close, to winning that game. They stall out inside the five-yard line, a touchdown will win the game, clock runs out. And it costs Georgia a national title berth and probably a national title because Alabama goes on to womp Notre Dame in the national title game that year. And then it extends into the Kirby Smart era. His first year there, an even bigger heartbreaker of a loss in the 2017 national title game. Georgia's controlling the game. They're up big at half. Jalen Hurts gets benched for Tua. People are freaking out. How can you bench Jalen Hurts? He's been great, and we don't even know about this Tua guy. Alabama storms back, forces overtime. And even within overtime, Georgia drills a long field goal, and then... They get a sack on first down at second and 20 for Alabama, and it seems like maybe that's set up. Maybe this is the big breakthrough. And wow, is Kirby Smart really going to out Saban Saban? Is he going to be able to recruit and coach a roster that's more talented and better than Nick Saban? And instead, that second and 20, it's Tua to Devontae Smith for a walk-off touchdown in overtime. True heartbreaker, honestly. And that's followed the next year by another heartbreaker. 2018 SEC title game. This time the roles are reversed. Tua gets injured as the starter and Jalen Hurts has to come in for him. And Georgia's up by 14 points in the second half of that game. And Jalen Hurts and Alabama, they score the last 21 points to win by a touchdown. Another heartbreaker, you know. Gotta go through the king. At some point, you trust in yourself, you trust in the identity. You identify in what areas can we be malleable or should we? And that's how you ascend to the mountaintop. Last year was a total beatdown. Uh, and it was kind of a a little bit of a precipice moment, I think, for fans and media members' perception of Georgia and the identity and vision of Kirby Smart. Last year, they get beat down. 41-24 is the final score. And... It's against Alabama, who has completely flopped what they are as a team. We're not a defensive first team anymore. We are all about explosive offense. Our quarterback is one of our stars, and we're leaning into that because we think in present day college football, passing is important, offense is important, and it's important to have a star under center. It's just what Saban and Alabama have said. We believe this to be true, and so we're going to do it better than you. And they have. So they crammed Georgia last year. Stetson Bennett's under center, a former walk-on for Georgia. And coming out of the game, there's a lot of questions, again, from fans and media members about the malleability of Georgia's program. And on a philosophical level, the question about the team and just about teams in general for present-day college football, one that we entered this season with and that we're still asking, can you win in 2021 playing this brutish style of football? in this offensive-heavy environment. 
Can you win with defense and running and a quarterback who is not your star? So Saturday was supposed to be an answer to that question for Georgia and for Kirby Smart. It was supposed to be a solid, all capitals, yes. That you can craft an identity on recruiting and defense and a run-first attack and a quarterback doesn't necessarily have to be your star. They can manage a game and make plays here and there. You can win a national title doing that. That's the, that's the identity, that's the vision that George and Kirby Smart have for themselves. doesn't matter if a former walk-on quarterback is under center as they started on Saturday with Stetson Bennett again. It's kind of a, a new yet old answer if you're thinking in those terms for this program and this coach. Physically overwhelming football, something that has existed for all of time and only recently has been seen as maybe a little bit of a millstone around the neck of programs. But George and Kirby Smart, this is our new yet old answer. We're going to put you in the meat grinder and we're going to see what comes out. Saturday was supposed to be the answer to that question. Enter is a touchdown favorite. And instead we see a repeat in terms of the score it was an identical repeat of last year it was 41 24 alabama wins running away star of the game is bryce young the heisman he hasn't won it yet but he is the heisman winner he is the best quarterback in the nation and he was the star (laughs) he sets an sec championship game record for passing yards throws for over 400 he's just throwing Dime after dime from a clean pocket. Shocking, again, if you remember how limited Alabama's offensive line was in close wins against LSU and Auburn, and then they're going against the best front seven in the nation, and on the plays that they needed it, it just seemed like he had a picture-perfect pocket, and he's hitting Jamison Williams 50 yards downfield right on the money. It was another win for the offense over defense crowd. It was another win for the people who believe You can really only win in one way right now in present-day college football. It's got to be with offense, and it's got to be with a star quarterback. It's just too important. The rules are skewed that way. Uh, The environment just says this is how you need to win. So one of the many questions coming out of this game is what I've been talking about as we... As we think on the the next level up, the search for answers. One of the questions, it still remains, that we entered the season with, that we've asked at various points, that we thought maybe we had an answer to as Georgia was dominating the regular season, and now we're back to square one as we enter into the playoff. Can you win with defense and a run-heavy approach in present-day college football, which is dominated by offense and quarterbacks who are the stars of the game? Now, Georgia is lucky. Georgia is both lucky and good, actually, I should say. Because they were good, they put themselves in a position with an undefeated regular season and domination where a loss in the SEC championship because of the way that this season played out, they're going to get another crack to prove their vision in the playoff. Um, We don't have a definitive answer, in my opinion, to all of these things that I'm talking about this search for identity and malleability and these overarching questions that pertains to college football about how can you win right now? 
What's the best pathway? What is the pathway? Are there other pathways? All of these kinds of questions. Georgia is going to get another crack to prove our vision is correct. We have answers. And a lot of you might not believe that they are the answers. But for the moment, they are solutions. Now, it's interesting when the playoff field is announced. Alabama moves to one. They play Georgia. I'm very interested in that game for different reasons. But the two versus three is very interesting in the context of today's show. Michigan at number two and Georgia at number three. Because Georgia enters in trying to prove this vision and they are going against another team and another coach that is looking to do the same thing. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Who went through a similar precipice moment, in my opinion, as a coach and as a program in 2018, Thanksgiving weekend, against Ohio State. Remember, in order to be what you want to be, you got to go through the king. For Georgia, that's Alabama. For Michigan, that's Ohio State. In order to fulfill the goals that Michigan has for itself as a program, it starts with beating Ohio State because in order to win the Big Ten East, you got to beat them. In order to win the Big Ten, you got to beat them. In order to get to the playoff, you got to beat them. In order to win the national title, you got to beat them. All these things. So in 2018, Michigan enters as the number four ranked team in the nation. Beat Ohio State, you're going to go. You're going to go win in the Big Ten title game. You're going to go to the playoff. And going into that game, they're ready to show that their vision, which is on a philosophical level, the same as what Kirby Smart has. Defense, run first attack. They're ready to show going to that game. Yeah, we, this is this can obviously be successful in present day. It's been successful for many years within this sport. And it doesn't just go away. You can always be successful doing this thing. We have a million different examples dating back to 1920. Where defense and a run-heavy approach and a quarterback who doesn't make mistakes can win football games. That's what they're trying to show going into this 2018 Game against Ohio State. Instead, we see the opposite. Ohio State just blasts them. 62-39 is the final. And this was a moment for a lot of folks, myself included, who kind of abandoned the Jim Harbaugh ship, uh, who said maybe he's too stuck in his ways, He's unable to identify what is going on in present-day college football rather than 1920. Uh, either he's unwilling or unable to out-recruit and out-scheme the one team in his conference, Ohio State, that they have to in order to reach their goals. That was one of these moments. So I kind of get off and I go, yeah, this, this is a little bit weird. They just can't match Ohio State's talent level. They're playing an outdated brand of football against a team that, much like Saban in Alabama, has clearly identified offense is king, and so we're going to lean into that, and we're going to recruit and coach a bunch of incredible offensive players every single season. And that's how we're going to win a national title and make a bunch of playoff berths, because we're going to have a star quarterback. and We're going to have a bunch of incredible playmakers on offense that will go on to play in the NFL, and that will be one of the core concepts of our team. So you see this clash in, in identity and malleability proven within this sphere. You know, you see it everywhere. But Ohio State and Michigan, you're seeing Ohio State pound Michigan year after year after year by leaning into a more modernized approach. 
and out-recruiting and out-scheming Michigan. So this leads into Rivalry Weekend this year, a game that really resonated with me as I talked about on a prior show because it was it was proof of concept. It was a manifestation that Michigan's identity under Harbaugh can succeed. It can be an answer to the question that it must answer in order to try and fulfill its goals. An answer to the question of Ohio State. They're there across the sideline. Can you beat them doing what you were doing? This rivalry weekend, it was that. It was physical annihilation. If you're drawing up the perfect script for how Michigan is going to beat Ohio State, it would have been that game. Control the lines on both sides. Michigan's offensive line, they're opening holes and Hassan Haskins, Blake Horm, they're running. Haskins ends up scoring five touchdowns, but he's just hammering, hammering, hammering over and over and over. And on the other side of the ball, Aiden Hutchinson and that Michigan defensive line, they're just getting in C.J. Stroud's face all game and they're making it hard for him to sit in the pocket and find these three NFL caliber wideouts that Ohio State has. It was annihilation on a physical level. Football starts in the trenches, you know. It's that old school mindset that I do think definitely has a place in present day. Look at the Super Bowl last year, Tampa Bay, Kansas City. Tell me where that game was won. Had nothing to do with Tom Brady. Had nothing to do with Patrick Mahomes. Had nothing to do with all the bright flash of all the players that we want to have. Tyreek Hill and Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey. It was an annihilation in the trenches on both sides of the ball. That's how Tampa Bay smashed Kansas City. That's how Michigan smashed Ohio State over rivalry weekend. That's what happened on Saturday when Michigan was playing Iowa and crammed them 42-3 to in the Big Ten title game and clinched a berth in the playoff, the two-seed. Again, manifestations of this vision of physical football, play defense at an incredibly high level, run, control the clock, and have a quarterback, in this case, Cade McNamara, who doesn't have to be the star and indeed cannot be because he doesn't possess the talent that C.J. Stroud does or Bryce Young does or these national championship quarterbacks of the past do. Mac Jones or Tua or Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson. So now we get to the college football playoff. And I think it's really interesting for a lot of reasons. One, the matchups have just your your normal football spice to them, if you will. I'm excited to watch a Alabama-Cincy matchup just because hopefully there's a chance Cincy can do something. And I'm excited to watch Michigan and Georgia because on a higher level, as we think about football just in more philosophical terms, it's interesting to note that we have two out of the four playoff teams attempting to prove that you can win in 2021 with the thing that a lot of people think you cannot win with. Defensive approach, run-heavy approach, quarterback that is not a star and indeed cannot be a star. Answers to questions. An endless supply, right? So on the other side, we have the upstart, Cincy, Interesting story in their own right. First time we've had a non-Power 5 team in the playoff. I'm very excited to just hopefully they can make a game out of it. Going against the old guard, Alabama and Nick Saban. The team and the coach that so perfectly blends identity and malleability 
that at times it seems almost unfair to every other program in football. That's who must be slain in order for one of these other teams to prove that their identity in the areas that they can be malleable in are correct, that they have the answers. That since he can do that at a non-Power 5 level, they don't have to have the recruiting these other teams do. That Georgia Michigan can do it with this philosophical approach of defense and running that a lot of other teams have abandoned because they don't think that you can win in present day with it. A lot of interesting contrasts going into this specific playoff. So now we take a month off and we wait. Part of the part about the playoff that I don't love. But as we approach the game, I think it's interesting to think about all of this stuff because all four of these teams, Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Cincy, they're going to hope that through practice and study and just the buildup of years within these areas, they're going to hope that they have the answers unlocked. They know the way to win a national title in 2021. New ones that startle, old ones that reassure us, all of them wrong, perhaps. But for the moment, solutions. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas or themes you would like explored, feedback in any way, or would just like to connect, email me at chris at ceo.com.